everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. My name is Kendra, and I'm a part of the core community of CMYK. We're a bunch of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. Before we jump in, I want you to know that everything we do as CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love what CMYK is up to and you want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are already giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. As we get going today, uh, <clears throat> there's something we kind of been talking about a little bit, but we want to do our best to make sure that everybody is in the know about, and it's this thing uh, that's coming up uh, in a couple weeks uh, at the end of September that we call our community core meeting. We did uh, one of these, a uh, core community meeting, got it, core community meeting. Uh, we did one of these uh, back in March, and it was you know successful from the standpoint that we had a lot of people there. And, and the reason that that's a success is the whole point of this gathering, the whole point of this meeting is to say that this thing called CMYK does not revolve around one person or just a couple people, but this is really the idea of a community of people, different voices, different backgrounds, beliefs, stories, you know, ideals, hopes, whatever it is, coming together, bringing their voice to the table. And that's the power of what this is, that we bring our voice to the table to find a more beautiful way forward together. That rather than one person dictating everything, that we really try to figure this out together. And the only way that that happens, the only way that that happens, is when you or I choose to actually show up and bring our voice to the table, compared to uh, simply just being a spectator or just hanging out and watching. So that's why I say this past March was such a success, because we had so many voices represented at the table. And so we've got another one coming up in September. And it's my hope that you would do everything. This is for everybody, whether you're someone that's just kind of dipping your toes in the water on CMYK or someone that's been around, plugged in, involved for a long time, that everybody would be a part of this gathering, particularly because of what we're talking about at uh, this core meeting. We're going to talk um, some specifics about what are we going to do together. And I have some more specifics of what that looks like, but we need your voice to figure out what that's going to look like. And so I would hope that you would be there. I would hope that you'd feel uh, free to invite people to come and be a part of it and to just check it out. To be a part of this uh, core meeting does not mean you're signing your you know, name on the dotted line and you are now forever in the system and you, you know, we expect all these things out of you. It can totally just be a, hey, I'm just coming to check this out and see if I want to bring my voice to this table, if it would matter. So I really, really hope that you guys can be there. Uh, get on your calendar. 1.30 p.m. It's in the afternoon. There is no kid care. Okay, uh, it's at Yellowstone Valley Brewing uh, Company, uh, the Garage Pub, and uh, it's a great space for us to just you know hang out. We buy the first beer if that's helpful, or root beer. Uh, but um, uh, we would just really, really hope that you can be there for that. All right. So tonight, what we're going to be doing is jumping into a series of talks that is going to take us the next few weeks, and we're simply calling it this whole or four questions for life. One of the interesting journeys for me personally when it comes to this whole thing of faith and spirituality, religion, has been my interaction with the Bible and how I choose to view and see the scriptures. And one of the things that's been most helpful and significant for me when it comes to the idea of the Bible is to understand and realize that these are stories and narratives that come from real people at a real place in a real time. 
Now, as silly as that might sound, that is a completely different narrative and idea than the thought that this is a book that was floated down from heaven and landed upon someone's doorstep. Or the idea that some, a couple people wrote this and their hands didn't know what they were doing and they didn't want to write these words, but they were being forced by God to write these words. And so now we have this thing called the Bible. Compared to, no, these are stories and these are narratives that come out of a real group of people at a real place at a real time. And they're wrestling through things and asking questions about the divine and trying to figure out the most important and significant way to go about their life and their relationships. And here we have these things called the scriptures of them wrestling through that. The good, the bad, and the ugly of all of those things. And so for me to enter into that, one of the things that I found is there's these four books within the scriptures. Many of us know them, have interacted with them on some levels, known as the Gospels. They're the stories of the life of Christ. And it's four different stories in some ways. And many of us potentially grew up with the idea that like, oh, these four Gospels, it's, you know, it's just like they're just telling different stories. So you have four different Spider-Men. You have, you know, Spider-Man who's Tobey Maguire. You have Andrew Garfield. You have Tom Holland. And then you have Into the Spider-Verse with a pig. Like, it's just different. John is probably, the book of John is one with a pig. Uh, but it's, it's this weird, like, okay, there's, it's just different representations of the same story. That's one way to look at it. But as I've continued to kind of grow and try to understand what do these scriptures say, real people, real place, real time, how am I to interact with this in a healthy way? One of the things that is most fascinating is that when we look at where the gospels, these stories of Christ come from, there was a reason that they were written. There's a community of people that this voice is speaking to. There are questions that these people are asking, and this gospel narrative, this story of Christ, is a work and an effort to try and communicate to that community of people and what they're walking through. And the four gospels represent, potentially, four major questions that these different communities were asking and wrestling through. And that the gospel, the good news, is that there is a way to process and work through these questions. And that these questions are things that are not just found 2,000 years ago, but these are questions that all of us deal with when it comes to our humanity. And how are we to go about this stuff in a healthy way? And so when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, as we start this series... The Gospel of Matthew was written, and most scholars would put it uh, coming out around 80 to 90 AD. Most of them would probably put it more towards the latter, around 90 AD. And so it's about 60 years after the life of Christ that we find this Gospel start to spring up historically. It's actually written anonymously. We really don't know that we know that we know that it was written by Matthew. It was a couple hundred years after it was written that people started attributing it to Matthew, but we really don't know that we know that we know that. And so we find this text written in the year 90 AD. And again, real people, real place, real time. And the place that this text comes out of is this community known as Antioch. And Antioch at the time was known as a refuge, as a place where there were many Jewish people. And many Jews were found there, and they were wrestling and struggling with something. Because what we know is that historically, the Jewish people, by far, had found their life revolve around this thing known as the temple. It was the place that they saw as foundational for who they were, foundational for their belief system. That if they were curious, how am I doing with God? How am I doing with the divine? That this place, this temple represented that God is dwelling in your midst and you can go there and you can offer sacrifices. You can go through these rituals and you can know that you are interacting with God on a healthy level. 
when you were warring against another nation or another tribe and you wanted to know, are we on the right side of history or the wrong side of history? You knew that you were on the right side of history. Why? Because this temple was found there and this is where God dwells. It was a place where community was found, where if you had some sort of conflict or issue or problem with another person, there were these rituals and laws that many of them revolved around the temple and bringing a priest in to help distinguish what do we do in this scenario with this issue. So much of the economy was driven around this idea of the temple and how it worked and giving of your sacrifices. The temple was everything. It was foundational for the Jewish people. It was beautiful and it was awesome. And so as long as this temple was here, there was this thing in them that said, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good, God's on our side, we're good, we know that we can jump through these hoops, do these things, and get what we want out of life and the divine and the relationships around us. But something happened in 70 AD. The Jewish people at this time, as many of you know, are not on their own. This isn't the nation of Israel. But what we know is that the Jewish people in this area is controlled by the Roman Empire. Caesar is in control. And there was a lot of back and forth historically between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire because the Jews did not want to be controlled by the Romans. And in the year 70 AD, Roman officials became fed up with these Jewish people. They said, we can't deal with this anymore. We're done with you. And they decided to make a statement. And the statement that they made was to come and to bring utter destruction to this city of Jerusalem and the place where the temple was found. In fact, what's known is that within this culture of ransacking other villages and towns and cities, what typically would happen is soldiers would move in, they would destroy, and then they would loot. They would take things for themselves or take things for their leader because it showed that they just gained more and more things for themselves because of it. It's the way you go about it. So if you're ever going to loot, if you're going to go out to Park City and you're looting Park City, just take the cows with you, I guess. That's how looting works. That's how taking over another community works. But when it came to this moment within history, Roman officials said there is to be no looting whatsoever. There is to be only destruction because we are going to make a statement. Nothing should survive this. And this is exactly what happened. This community, this city that was once a beacon on a hill, this thing known as the temple that was the foundation for a Jewish person's life, belief system, economy, relationship structure, everything of who they are is now in rubble. In fact, the first century historian Josephus puts it like this. He says, no one, not even a foreigner who had seen the old Judea and the glorious suburbs of the city and now set eyes on her present desolation could have helped sighing and groaning at so terrible a change. For every trace of beauty had been blotted out by war. And nobody who had known it in the past and came upon it suddenly would have recognized the place. And when he was already there, he would still have been looking for the city. Even somebody that had visited this town before, Josephus says, they'd be right in the middle of it and they wouldn't recognize it because it is so utterly decimated. This is the level of destruction that the Jewish people have experienced or witnessed. And what we know is that many of them flock and flee to the city of Antioch to find refuge. And here in the year 90 AD, there's this community of people that once had this beautiful city on a hill, this foundation for their belief system and who they were in the world. And it's now in absolute ruins and is unrecognizable. And they're wrestling with, what do we do with this? 
How do we find ourselves in the world now? How are we supposed to go about this belief system and relationships and existence when there's this much change? Because we didn't want this, we didn't desire this, but here it is. And so how do we face change? It's a question that we find the book of Matthew wrestle through in a major way. How do we face change? And it's out of this question, out of this community in this place, that we see this gospel of Matthew arise. And again, for me, this is where the scriptures continue. Independent of belief or unbelief, they continue to be a source of significant importance for my life. And I think for us as a community. Because this question of how do we face change is not something that is just unique to the people of Antioch. Not just unique to a community of Jewish people. But we see and realize that there's so many areas. For some of us, this idea of belief. It was the temple in our lives. In other words, we had this core structure for who we were. How we believed about God and the world and our interaction with those things. How many of us grew up singing songs Though none go with me, still I will follow. Independent of whatever happens in the world, I'm here. I will always believe like this. I will always think like this. I will always act like this, no matter what. I remember time and time again, church camps especially, just so emotional and just communicating over and over and over again to myself, to God, to the people around me. This is it. This is going nowhere. And then belief systems start to change. Questions starts to arise. How do you face that kind of change? And many of us know that feeling. And it can feel the same level that, we, that the Jewish people potentially experience watching a temple crumble, that everything revolved around that. Now our belief system is potentially crumbling. And we're asking ourselves, how do we face this? You have things like health for some of us. Physical health is a significant deal. We expect to be able to get up and move and interact in the world in a certain way. And what happens when that starts to go away? Or that starts to go away for another family member? This thing that we depended upon, we leaned upon, because this is how we're supposed to interact in the world, it starts to disappear. It's a change that we don't want. It's a change that we don't desire. And we're left asking the question, how am I supposed to go about this? A relationship. Many of us know what it's like to have a relationship, a significant other, a partner, maybe a good friend, someone that's been with us for a long time, and we feel and we lean into that, that this is my rock, my foundation. This is what's always going to be no matter what. And then what happens when that relationship starts to change and tweak and look different? How do we process change? Financial stability, emotional permanence, I'm always going to feel this way. Or maybe political ideal. Things aren't going the way that you hoped that they would go in the world, in our country, in our city. See, this question of what happens when the foundational part of how you see yourself in the world begins to crumble, like the Jewish people in Antioch, is not a 2,000-year-old question that we just get to push to the wayside. It's something that all of us, if we're honest, at one time or another have to deal with. How do we face change? Is there a healthy way to go about this? What we know is that historically within the city of Antioch, there were four factions that began to rise within these, this community of people dealing with change. There was a community of people that began to, to say that the role or the response to change is to give up. 
Why bother? This is the end of the world, is what they would say. They were the ones with, you know, the, the sandwich boards walking around saying, God's destruction is coming, just give up, why bother? They were the people that were saying, well, just drive an SUV and smoke all the cigarettes you want, because it's just the end of the world, why bother? It's a response to change. I don't like this, I don't want this, this is happening. And to feel like there's no point other than to just give up to disengage fully, to just believe and lean into the fact that the end is coming. There's a faction of people that we find that were making this happen. Or we see in Antioch, Antioch historically, there's a group of people that were inviting or trying to push people to go back. Historically, this is found more within the religious community. There were priests, Pharisees. They were looking at the change that was happening, the, thing, the new thing that was taking place. And they were saying, okay, here's what we got to do, everybody. We got to just get back to what was. We just got to rebuild the temple, and we need to follow God and his laws like we were before, only do it better this time. Because the reason that we're experiencing this change, the reason things are happening in a way that we don't want them to, is because we screwed up back there. So let's everybody just get together, and let's go back to what was. It's this conservative voice to try and always pull and push back to what once was. There's a community of people, a faction of people that are working to see this happen. And then there's the by and far largest group of people historically in the city of Antioch. And they were those that were saying, let's just spectate and wait. In other words, let's not pick a side. <laughs> let's not necessarily bring our voice and say, this is the end. Or bring our voice and say, yeah, we've got to go back. Let's just kind of sit on the bench and see what happens. And we'll pick a side maybe some point, someday, somewhere. By and, far, by and large, this is the most people that we see within this community. They're really not engaging this change. They're really not engaging what's happening. They're just sitting back and waiting. Now, we have these three factions. How many of us have experienced this within ourselves time and time again? When a change happens, when we're confronted with something we don't want to deal with, we didn't ask for, how many of us know that pressure to give up that desire to just think through the past and what was and to try to just go back, go back, go back. Because we remember a day when it wasn't like this, so if I could just get back to that. Or how many of us know what it's like? Let's take politically what's taking place. How many know what it's like? But yeah, there's all these things that are taking place and there's this part of us, rather than bringing our voice to it, rather than engaging what's taking place, there's just the, well, we'll just see what happens. And we're not really engaging anything. It's from these three factions that we see this fourth voice, this fourth group of people, this fourth invitation arise. And it's found within these followers of Christ. It's found within the story and this gospel of Matthew. And the invitation here is simply this, to be present. So not try to say it's the end of the world to not try to avoid it and go back to what was and to not to just live life on the sidelines, but to be somebody that is fully engaging whatever this new thing is and to be fully present there. It's the invitation of Matthew to this community of Antioch saying there is a better, more beautiful way forward with this change. We find it all over the place. Obviously, we're not going to go through everything in the book of Matthew, but a couple key moments, I think, that are important. In the beginning of the story, we see this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
So obviously, many of us have heard the Christmas story. Joseph is in a position that he does not want to be. If you're about to marry someone, the last thing in the world you want to hear is someone coming to you and saying, I'm pregnant and it's because of God. Uh, (laughs) That is not a change that you are looking forward to. But yet here is the situation. And so Joseph is trying to figure out what to do. Do I run from this thing? Do I try to avoid it? How do I go about this in a healthy way? Uh, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear this change. Do not fear what's happening in front of you. This isn't what you wanted. This isn't what you desired. But do not fear it. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He was fully present with this change. Not desirable. Or how about this most famous sermon of Christ, known as the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning are the Beatitudes. And here we find all of these elements of life that many times are seen as negative, wrong, bad things to avoid. And Jesus, the beginning of the sermon is all about saying, no, you can be present with these things because there's something here. You can be present with these things. You don't have to avoid them because there is change coming. There are moments like this that happen in our life. And rather than being somebody that gives up or tries to go back or just sits on the sideline, you can fully engage and be present. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And on and on he goes. But here is this story in this gospel of Matthew that says, whatever is in front of you, whatever change is taking place, do not be somebody that does not engage it fully because there is something here. Now, if you've been around CMYK for very long, you know that this idea of working to be present is not new. It's a foundational part of our work as a more beautiful way forward together, which is why this gospel narrative is so fascinating to me, that this whole gospel of Matthew is about this concept of working to be present. But in my work over the last couple of years, and I think for many of you, this question can arise of what does it mean to be present? Because I'm here. I did it. What more do you want? Congratulations. You know? And is that the work that we just need to physically put ourselves in a different place? And I think most of us understand, no, there's something more here to, to be present. It's not just physically being somewhere. And this Gospel of Matthew, I think, does a great job of communicating what is this invitation in the midst of change to be present. And I think it revolves around two things. That first and foremost, to be present means that you are making a statement to yourself and to those around you that I'm fully here. Why? Because there's something here. This change, whatever's taking place, there's something here. It's Christ. There's a new story. There's resurrection. There's new life. There's something here. And so I'm not going to abandon ship. I'm not going to give up. And I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines because then I'd miss it. I'm going to be fully present. There's something here. And then secondly, to be present means that you would say this statement to yourself and to the world around you. And I can handle this. Now, as silly as that might sound, there has been very few statements that have changed my life as much as this statement of I can handle this. Uh, Jenny Barkak, uh, who's married to Bart Barkak, is our children's director here at CMYK. And she introduced this statement and phrase to my wife and I a couple years ago with our son, Anders. Because what we were finding is many times a child has an emotional experience. Something happens. A toy breaks or, you know, it's time to turn off the TV, whatever it is. A change is introduced to a child. And emotions rise up because of that change. 
And many times what I would find myself, and if you're like me, you respond to that child by saying, it's okay, you're fine, knock it off, shut up, get back in the closet. Whatever your statement is, it doesn't matter. But you respond, and you're trying to respond out of love, like, it's fine, it's fine, calm down, you're okay, calm down, calm down, calm down. And Jenny did such a great job of trying to communicate, okay, that's not bad, but at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're saying this change and this emotional response that you're happening to this change, you're uh, delegitimizing it by saying, it's okay, stop it, knock it off. And instead, she said, you need to learn to look at Anders in the eye and say, hey, buddy, I know that you're sad because of this. In other words, I see you. And then to say this, and guess what? You can handle this. It's been one of the most transformational things for me. Now, I'm not saying it's the secret sauce and Anders never cries and has any tantrums ever. No. But it's transformational for me as an adult. Because how many times does a change happen and emotions come up because of that change? And there's this part of me that thinks being an adult is saying to those emotions and saying to what's happening, stop it, knock it off, you're okay, you're fine. How many times is my response to the change that's in front of me just avoid it, pretend it's not there, put a screen in front of me to distract myself away so I don't have to deal with these things compared to this incredibly powerful, it might sound foolish, but it's so powerful to say to myself, I can handle this. Whatever the emotion is, whatever the response to the change that's taking place, I can handle this. This is what it means to be present. There's something here. I don't want to miss it. And whatever's in front of me with this change, I can handle this. I think this, isn't, this is found in no greater story than the story of Jesus and Judas. Towards the end of the life of Christ, Jesus has just come off of praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this prayer is one saying, God, I don't want the change that's about to happen to happen. Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed. He knows who he's about to be betrayed by. And this prayer is, God, take this cup from me. I don't want what's about to take place to take place. And here the Gospel of Matthew records how Jesus responds to this change. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. Judas had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, and do not miss how Jesus responds to this moment. A man that just prayed over and over and over again, God, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. And how does he respond to this change? Friend. Friend, do what you came to do. Here's a change. And the Christ narrative and the Christ story is one of being fully present with what's about to happen. And going so far, having the Christ level cojones to say, friend, to his enemy, to his betrayer, and to this change. He's saying, there's something here, and I can handle this. I don't want to. I hate this. Friend, do what you came to do. The reason that this is so powerful for me is you take the reverse, and you look at Judas and his response to this story. 
and what takes place. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, says, then when Judas, after Jesus has been condemned to die, it says his betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned. He was about to be crucified. And Judas changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it to yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, Judas departed and he went and hanged himself. Two completely different responses to change. The Christ narrative is one of friend. There's something here, and I can handle this. And the Judas response, this change is happening, and he has convinced himself, I cannot handle this, and there's nothing more for me here. And so he commits suicide, and he kills himself. I find that so powerful because I know what it's like to be in the place of Judas where a change is coming, or a change is on the horizon. It's not even here yet. Because Judas is in this place that nothing's actually happened yet. Nobody's mad at Judas in this part of the story. Nobody's coming out with clubs to try and attack him. How could you kill Jesus? No, nobody, everything is fine with Judas. It's his own internal dialogue that is convincing himself that there's a change coming, and I can't handle it. And there's nothing there. And so his response to that is to kill himself. I know what it's like to be in a place because of something that I've done, because of something that I've said, because of things that I've slacked off on, whatever it is. And I'm fearful because of my actions and because of what I've done, if I'm honest about them, if I lean into the change, if I go there, that I will not be able to handle it. And there will be nothing there. And so I find myself in this place of Judas. And yes, I'm not physically killing myself, but I'm also not being fully present with what's actually happening and going on in my life, in my heart, in the relationships around me, because I'm fearful to go there because I don't think I can handle it. And because I don't think that there's anything there. So I just pretend, I just avoid, I just distract. And I find myself not hanging myself, but definitely not living life and giving my life away. The gospel of Matthew, the story of Christ is this. Be present. Whatever's in front of you, whether it's something that you have done or something that's been done to you, be present because there's something here and you can handle it. As much as your story wants to be one of Judas that says, no, I can't, you don't understand. No, I can't. No, you don't understand. Here is the story of Christ that speaks loud and clear. Yes, you can, friend, do what you came to do. For me, when I look at these four factions of change, I'm easily reminded of my story a couple years ago that many of you know, of being in this place where my belief system had shifted and changed in some ways. And at the time, I was currently uh, uh, ordained as a pastor within a denomination. This church was a part of that denomination. So any of my relationships that I had were with pastors and individuals within this church and its denomination. My family saw me, interacted with me, loved me because of my interaction and my choice to be a part of this denomination and this way of believing about God and the world. And as many of you know, there was this journey, this change 
that was taking place, and if I'm honest, had taken place. And I remember countless nights of being so afraid to be honest, being so afraid to be present with myself and what I really believed and what I really thought. Because I was really afraid if I go there, there's not going to be anything else left for me. And I don't think I can handle it. And the reason I bring that up is because obviously many of you were part of that journey and know that journey. A couple years ago, I decided to go down that path. I decided to be fully present with who I was and where I was. And I sat and had conversations with men that I respect probably way too much. And I was so fearful of them and their response to me. And they were so angry, long, hard, difficult conversations, but I can handle it. I was so fearful of the conversations with my dad that have happened multiple times over the last couple of years, where my dad has been so angry with me that I, I, I don't know how to go about that relationship many days. But there's something here, and I can handle it. I remember um, the last conversation I had with my older brother before his cancer diagnosis was over here at Rocket Burrito and him um, yelling at me for an hour, which if you knew Ben is not Ben, but it was over this issue and being so devastated and distraught. But I'm here. And all of the things that I was so fearful about. I'm here. And I believe, I really, really believe this isn't just something that's going to come someday. I believe there's something here, that there has been an engagement in life for me. I'm not trying to pit myself against anyone else. I'm just telling in my own journey, in my own path, there's something here. And I found so much life and beauty and health and wholeness as what this series is about for me to be able to handle this question of how do we face change in a healthy way and to be fully present. For us and for you, the question tonight is what change are you facing? I know for some of you, you hear a story about a guy that had some different thoughts and beliefs and he was going to maybe make some people upset. Oh, wow, poor you, because you potentially are dealing with something far more potent. I understand how silly that might sound to some of you. But what change are you facing? It doesn't matter the scale of severity. Change is a constant in our life. And for you and I to do the work tonight and to recognize that change, to be able to point at it, speak about it. But then to ask the question, I think that the Gospel of Matthew is asking, how are you going to face that change? Are you going to be somebody that just gives up and disengage and take the Judas path? Are you going to be somebody that's just fighting for what was and you're missing what really is? Are you going to be somebody that is just spectating and you're not truly engaging, you're not truly growing, you're not trying, truly finding health or wholeness, you're just watching the world go by? Or are you going to take up this Christ narrative and invitation to be present? There's something here 
and you can handle this. It's what this table is and has been for the last couple thousand years. Communities of people dealing with change and asking how are we to go about this world and this life. And to come to this narrative in the story of Christ's body broken, his blood shed. This narrative of someone who said, friend, do what you came to do to a change that he did not want and he did not desire. But the belief in the midst of all of that was there was something there and he could handle it. And on the other side of that, as this story points and this table points, is life and resurrection. That tonight we come to this table with the same narrative. Whatever the change is, body broken blood poured out, but that there would be this element to we receive it tonight because there's this part of us that goes, there's something here. It's just bread and juice, but it would speak to there's something here. I'm fully present, and I can handle this, whatever it is, and that we'd be able to leave this place and interact with whatever the change is in a healthy, more beautiful way forward together. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while there, you can find out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged in to give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.